say something tonight just just for my own benefit my own welfare so it always makes me feel good to feel that um, I have something I can give and share that may be for your welfare mm. yeah, it's just like where in my mind just keeping the sense of connection there that uh, not just like thinking of lectures, series of lectures on Buddhism, but it's actually just checking in, touching people. You know. Would you like to think about this, taste this? Somebody interested in your welfare, um, and there's that kind of quality to it. And I find personally that what teaching is to me, you know. I think this is the way it should be for everyone, whether one, whatever one's verbal patterns of understanding is. It's really, to my mind, that sense of just um, you know, opening to the presence of other people, taking interest in other people, wanting to um, acknowledge the struggles of other people, and sensing this compassion for those struggles and, and recognition of those aspirations. And and uh, some response to that. These formats don't always work that well, I think, because of the you know, angularity of it all. You know, it's easier when you're talking to two people, but um, you know, I'm trying to talk to two people, and if you know, to thirty people, it's difficult. You say the same thing fifteen times. So I try to talk as if I'm talking just to two people, even though there's 30 of, 30 of you here. Uh, I wonder how many of you actually know what happened when I read this, these announcements this, this, this evening, these dedications on the piece of paper. Just how that, how you, that affected you, it didn't affect you. Some of you both legs and stuff some of you have cancer of the lungs and heart, stomach cancer, terminal illnesses and all this. This is our often thing that we are being asked to dedicate chanting to. What does that mean? So one can read these things and I guess like anything's read off a bit of paper, you know, it's sort of heard and not perhaps do much at all actually. Then we chant the words of the chanting, do that because that's what we do. It's in the book, we do that. And what actually is going on there for us individually? What's happening there? Was there any dedication? Was there any anything there? Um, and if I, you know, if I say this, I'm not criticizing or accusing anybody, I'm just recognizing. That I, I imagine that for many of us from time to time, if not quite a bit of the time, a lot of this stuff is just kind of pinging, you know, flying over the head or pinging off the outside of the, of the system. We do these things, we say these things. You know, we, in meal time, somebody offers some food and we chant the Anamodana. It's just what you do. But um, whether one's really there with it, Actually, taking it in, the meaning of this. I think this is a real problem because it seems that so much stuff we encounter 
in our lives, in television, newspapers, billboards, everything, is that one is actually going to screen out all this stuff which is just getting at you all the time. You know, wanting to buy something, get wound up about something, vote for something, hate somebody, get excited about this, and it's eventually just kind of, yeah, right, 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 you screen it out. And I, you know, I find it's very distressing myself. When I, when I do travel, I can feel, you know, if I don't screen out, goodness me, you go to an airport and just the amount of bombardment that's happening to you, if you don't start to screen out, you know, everywhere is flickering things, buy this, buy that, and Muzak playing, and you're just going jangling away at you. And then you do start to screen out, and you feel the sense of, like, you're lost. Here we are, thousands of us milling around this place, screening out. <laughs> you know, and there's this sense of the, the ghost land that we can live in. We learn to live in because it's the only way to get by sometimes and just being totally overwhelmed with, with all these um, powerful inputs. And I think this is really a big, big problem for people in this day and age that to, one has to kind of hold yourself together and has to screen out, lose contact. So that it becomes such a habit, such a way of being, that it's very difficult to really, you know, make and, and sustain contact, open, just to feel something, feel the resonances of what's happening, feel disturbed, saddened, gladdened, inspired, irritated. You know, actually feel that. Know you're alive with that. Know it's happening to you. Because after a while, of course, if it's too much, you just have to screen out because the system can't take it. So certainly, one would recognise or any any to live to you know as a, as a full fully human being. We have to be in a context that we, we're not screening out. Otherwise we're living like ghosts. You know, not really here. And in that something strange happens. That those those that that continual aliveness of feeling, you know, moved, inspired, interested, calm, warm, you know, tension shifting, you know, starts to die out. Thank you.
still going to be just purely isolated self-interest, isn't it? It's not going to be, well, how does this work? You know, should we, you know, let me know how we should do this. It's going to be just the isolated desire system. I want, I want to have. And of course, those things that can never, they can never really be fulfilled because they are isolated. You can only be fulfilled by being alive in something where you're going to get, you're going to get some nourishment from. Even to be alive is just to be within your own body. Or within your own you know, spiritual state or mental state. You're there with it and you're feeling and you're tending to it. You're alive in it. And of course, when that deadening starts to occur, then how we relate to what seems to be outside, if it starts to eat in, the harder you relate it anymore to you know, its physical form, sensations that arise within that, the moods and feelings that arise within that. You're alive in it, you're not responsive to it. You may feel overwhelmed by it, threatened by it, or you're just put up with it. Things that are certain things that are needed as moves. Um, I've used now I've used this word twice. <laughs> 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 the N word. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, if we look at the, of course I don't need these things, but <laughs> <laughs> but if we it's like what a, what a physical body needs, for example. Uh, what, what it's designed to do, yeah. whatever one's take on that is, it's, it's designed to, uh, it feeds itself, doesn't it? We breathe in and out. The body breathes in and out. It does it, even if I try to stop it, it still does it. It overcomes my will you know, to do that. It does it. It breathes in and out, like it or not. Um, <laughs> so it says, I'm going to feed you whether you like it or not. And so when we do that, this oxygen comes in, the body is, is alive. And then we have powerful systems that move towards food and water and things of that nature. So very powerful instincts and, and operating systems that say nourishment, nourishment. And we also have systems that, are, this body has systems that protect it. Uh, we have white corpuscles gobbling up staphylococci and nasty things inside us. Uh, we have skin that uh, protects us, or protects this body. Um, these basic things, the body repels antibodies and, and stops other things growing on it. It also, and then beyond that, beyond what's almost you know, innate in the body, there becomes the, those automatic reflexes to protect ourselves. You fall over and your body winces and tightens up to protect itself from damage. One runs away, one hides. Yeah, to be cornered, we tighten up, and we have to really fight to protect ourselves. You know, and that's something that the body will do as best it can. And these are, if you like, two two basic things: protection 
and nourishment. And these are the ways in which we um, keep ourselves, keep the body, keep yourself alive, and they're very much associated with our environment. You know, we protect ourselves from what may be harmful in our environment. We need to know that we can protect ourselves from that is in what's uh, difficult, painful, abusive in our <coughs> environment. We need to know that. Um, and we can do that and we feel confident, feel strong, feel secure, feel stable. And we need to know that we can draw, sustain, draw nourishment from our environment. So it's interesting, it's valuable. Is something that makes us alive. We're eager to be with it because it feeds us, it nourishes us. And when you consider those things and contemplate them, you, you, you realize there's a lot of meaning in that on a subtle levels of you know, heart and mind attitude, not just the physical, but the whole uh, our sense of more consciousness, the mental states and so on. Do we feel in our hearts and minds you know secure okay able to you know stand our ground if you like do we feel we're able to um, find what what interests us what uh, enriches us what keeps us feeling hey it's good to be here there's something for me here there's something that, that is gives me a feel good satisfied feeling here and it's something that may give me a protected, okay, stable sense here. And this is, these are things to check out. One could say that, you know, in many ways we can look at uh, factors of the Dhamma and the Vinaya as performing these functions. You know, sila, that which protects us from. Uh, Behave, regret and behavior that is, is poisonous. Uh, meditation is something that brings us into a place of warmth, contentment, you know, mind not being thrown around, mind calming, mind feeling satisfied. Mm. You know, these, these things like the enlightenment factors, some which seem to be quite protective or, or structural some which are more uh, felt things so let's say mindfulness acts as a boundary doesn't it keeping your mind present there energy and so on and then things like samadhi and calm as things that we feel pleased by, enriched by and you can contemplate these and look at these things yourself but just to get to that basic sense uh, the sense of one is stabilized, one feels okay, one feels safe, and one also one feels the ability to derive some kind of well-being, happiness, value, and you know, in many ways. And without these, then we are in stuck, we are in trouble. Uh, we are starved, or we are... Um, threatened in a, in a confused world and a lot of this, this these poisonous effects get established so people do threaten each other 
directly threaten each other with physical violence, threaten each other with verbal violence, threaten each other with, with mental violence, the mental poison of ill will, disregard, contempt, disrespect, scorn, um, guilt. So people do, uh, we all are aware of, have received, and probably have imparted to a degree those poisons. As the behavioral way in which we which we learn. So a way to get something is I make you feel guilty if you don't do it. I'll make you feel um, weak if you don't do it. I'll make you feel um, you know you're not good enough if you don't do it. So you give you a sense of shame and guilt. So if you don't do this, you're going to get some damage done to you. And it'll be subtle damage. It'll be a damage which you will impart to yourself. Yeah. I'll say something, you know, like really good people do this, you know. And of course, if you can't make it, you know, if you're weak, if you're inadequate, you know, if you're not sincere, whatever it is, you can use this language to do this. Then you think, well, so I better do it. Otherwise, I'm going to feel bad. So we use a kind of subtle forms of punishment to to get people going. And of course, um, reward. I'll give you a sweetie if you do it. I'll say you're a good person if you do it. I'll give you a big smile if you do it. Give you a birthday card if you do it. Praise you, so forth. And this is a so we get into that sort of thing. So we find ourselves in these kind of um, caught in ways in which um, our sense of, of nourishment and well-being is something that's innate. It's taken away because you're saying the only way you can eat nourished and well-being is if I give it to you. You know, I'll, you know if you don't do, I'll give it to you because I'll say you're good or you're bright or you're fine or you're lovely or whatever, and um, you know, so then you'll feel okay. So I, I've got my hand on the cookie jar, mm. and then I can control you. Mm. And I've also got my hand on the stick. I think you feel guilty or foolish or whatever. So these kinds of things are happening. <coughs> um, then after a while, we just start to seal off. I don't want your cookies, and I'm not. <laughs> you know, you can take stuff your cookies, and. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to harden up around the stick. I'll learn to just resist your your cajoling and abuse. Then I'll give you some back. So these kinds of things occur for people. And if they're not occurring, we're probably wired to to um, act in that way. It would be better to be safe than sorry. So all this definitely, you know, in, in, um disadvantages or, or decreases our quality of being open and alive. We're sort of safe in a in a shut down way. Because I won't have any needs. Yeah. Then you won't be able to then you won't be able to to um, seduce me. Mm. So if I don't have any needs, I don't eat anything, then 
then I won't have me, then I w- you can't have power over me in that way. And if I'm impervious as well to, to blame and abuse, then you can't get me there either. So that you, you sort of dry up, impervious, and um, don't need anything. Yeah. We must be careful that this stuff doesn't actually take get into our meditation, where one sort of meditates in order to get even more impervious, and in order to to um, not have any particular any sense of of being uh, nourished. <laughs> you know, we so we we kind of blot out. And these things can be happening without any clear awareness, but just in a subliminal way. So I think the mind just goes into a blotted out state where it feels, oh, it's good, there's nothing really happening here, I'm okay. Now, but really recognizing the qualities of, of um, well-being and you can take that how you like you can be just feeling calm it could be feeling um, bright it could be feeling loving you know, whatever it is but in a way it's, if you like, it's just a quality of um, core presence we might say one's presence feels you know, rich in some way or another it's, it's something like a, a kind of call it a presence because it doesn't do anything in particular it's just there and is that there? And maybe we can say, well, well, no, it isn't there. It's dependent upon somebody doing something to me or somebody not doing something to me or something happening. So it's, it's a dependent factor. But actually, in Dharma practice, we're looking to, to, to clean that, or to, to open that up, so it's actually not dependent upon you know, something happening to me. It's just innate. And this may be something that is... is we've lost so much contact with that we don't recognize how you could feel that without something happening to you or having something or somebody doing something or being somewhere nice. So, you know, the, in the actual process that the Buddha is talking about is saying, you know, clearing away these, these um, poisons so that you know, your independent quality of, of well-being, of, of, of you know, what's called the highest happiness, Nibbāna, which is a presence, it says. It's not dependent upon something going on or being liked or whatever. And so this is a possibility. And we may just register that. And and not that we have to say, I've got to be like that, otherwise I'm not good enough. Then we can use these things as more guilt and shame, can't we? But say, well, that's interesting. You know, what what stops that happening? What's wrong right now? <laughs> what's not enough right now? You know? And in meditation, or in the, we've got a chance to just sit and sense that. Well, what's wrong right now? And then we might notice the nagging anxiety, the anxiety about something, which is basic. Unsettledness, anxiety, um, and that gives us something then to apply ourselves to, apply our attention to, because this 
these particular poisonous effects, when they've been they get induced, become endemic. That is, nobody has to abuse you anymore because you can do it for yourself now. You're a full mature adult. You don't need anybody to abuse you. Now you're fully programmed. You can keep up your own abuse. You've been fully trained to abuse, to feel I'm not good enough now. Yeah, I shouldn't be this way now. What I should be is being calm, clear, confident, bright, you know, efficient, effective, easy, relaxed, competent, and so forth. This is what I should be. Or perhaps it just hasn't got any names. It's just a kind of blank check for should be's. Just open up a, a should be check, and you can fill anything you like in on it. So we may have that program running, and it's good to just check. Well, actually, what is wrong with it? What's wrong now? Is there anything wrong with this right now? It doesn't have to be the most super scintillating experience I've ever had in my life that I want to remember for the rest of my days. It's not an experience we have to have so much as just okay, I'm alright with this. I don't have to hold it. That's not it, is it? It's just I'm I'm alright with this. Hmm. And that's the kind of quality of well-being that becomes more available when it's not. It's natural when we stop poisoning ourselves. Then the body, our system, naturally nourishes itself, and it nourishes itself by the sense of um, you know there's a connection, and it's not to any particular thing. But to the to the awareness that can receive things, if you like. So when we say when I say something like connection, I don't mean you hold on to a particular object, but you have that potential to receive, be touched by anything. If there's nothing there, that's fine. If it's just the silence of the mind, that's fine. If it's just a vague sensation, that's it. You know. So it's not a particular thing, but the sense of being available, being open, and yeah. And uh, one of the the what can occur, of course, as we meditate, is that we are open, but, but actually because the mind isn't restless or hungry or nervous or fearful or resentful, there's nothing particularly to hold to. It just feels open and spacious and free. Mm. And that, but that is incredibly nourishing because we are we are in a connected state and this is say the norm just like breathing out is a normal thing to do you don't have to tell your body to do it it does it and it breathes this stuff around us so you feel like that's an innate quality of it the innate quality of um, mind or consciousness or awareness is to feel well to feel sensitive to feel alive if it's not that, if it's not that state, then okay, then we start. You know, we check out. This is not self. This is not permanent. This is suffering, and it's something that's conditioned. And it, that conditioning is, you know, it, it's up. It's in our own programming, and we can feel it. It's the sense of something is nagging, something is pushing, something is hanging back, something is fretful. Something is not not here, not able to feel okay here, and this is often the, the grist for the mill 
the Dhamma practice. Nourishment and protection go together. Don't they? If you, uh, so one, does, one feels somehow um, insecure. So this other aspect of the program, we feel we may be got at. We, may, we feel we may have done something wrong. We're going to be accused of or not liked for. You know. So we you know, tighten up. We're not. It, what's around us doesn't protect us and comfort us. It doesn't look after us. It looks down on us and it judges us yeah. and it blames us. And that's happening, that particular piece of program is happening to be happening, actually nobody's saying anything. You know, if, you, if we, you know, technically, it's totally safe and fine and okay, and yet the program is still running that says, um, something's looking down on me. I, I'm just, I'm, I've got, I've kind of got warped into a look down upon state. And in that look down upon state, I find different people to look down upon me. <laughs> Or different situations to feel inadequate for, so I can feel, you know, and then that begins to fit my normal pattern. Here I am feeling blamed, inadequate, and useless. Oh, that, that feels, I feel I'm okay now, in that comfortable state, dog eared familiarity. And in that, we, we, then we do various things to allay that. We search for somebody else, perhaps to make us feel okay or stable. Yeah. And then perhaps as we do that, part of us starts to complain about it. You're so needy, you're so feeble, why, why do you need people? Yeah. And so we can add different permutations of, of this poisoning you know, onto it. So even as we, one set of poisoning sets up a set of strategies to counteract it, as we acknowledge those strategies, those strategies we poison ourselves with a bit more blame and, and so forth, rather than getting to the to the to the root of it. Like I don't, you don't feel one doesn't feel safe here. One doesn't feel anything valuing or enriching or here. Yeah. And where is this here? Which is the, the how much of it is actually under the skin? And even with that, you know, comes up of, I've got a lot of defilements, it's all my fault, I have bad karma, I'm nutty, I'm screwed up. So, it still goes on, relentless, isn't it? And because I am that way, I could never ask for anything, because I'm not really, you know. So it it goes on and on and on, these habits of of, uh, stripping away what is really um, necessary for for being alive, and the weirdest part of it is when we feel, if we if we attack ourselves vigilantly enough, we'll finally be accepted into true life. Now. The twist of this is, of course, that we, the things that, that, that nominally could be really there for our well-being and there for our, our stability. Any, you know, when you get this kind of programming run, you can turn anything the other way. So, of course, the big thing is, is morality, isn't it? Which 
instead of being something that actually makes one feel confident and secure and keeps away the harmful forces and doesn't stimulate harmful energy. If you can take this as a kind of stick to beat ourselves with, um, you know, morality is something that's imposed from the outside. It's not something that I wish to do. It's something I've got to do, otherwise I'm going to get blamed. Uh, so that particular, you get the tendency to take on morality and on, if you like, right down to linear training, you know, being it's picked on if you don't do the right bit. Um, uh, either by others or by oneself. You're not a very pure monk, you know. So people, you can see people get to the most incredibly refined extremes. You know, what, what would be, in, I think, an ordinary person that's pretty refined, you know, pretty extreme. Um, over the thickness of sitting cloths or you know, particular um, refinements of behaviour where still there's that sense of you're trying to get as pure, 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 pure as possible through these things. Um, and it, it actually it means one sets up even more possibilities of being impure. Because if we base our sense of purity upon, upon an ever-refining tolerance, what are the chances of being able to sustain it? So it's like, you know, some example... If you take these these um, like veneer things to to some um, absolute statement about purity, and the conditions don't support it, then one can always feel stained and sullied. And of course, the, the, the you know, Ajahn Chah was, he was very keen on veneer. Was a very good example of how to to be able to you know, use this in a way that was was protective and skillful rather than searching for some ultimate antiseptic state. And so I remember when he came to, to England, for example, then of course one of the big training rules is you don't have, um, training rule literally says to avoid any kind of contact with, with women which is lustful or everyone's intention. So people, that's that's fine, and but then people take this to 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 be absolutely clear. And you avoid any physical contact with them, even a cat, you know, a female cat, in case something happens. <laughs> you know, something might. You never know. So you can take it to these. People do take it quite seriously to these positions. I don't know if you're a female gnat or a mosquito, <laughs> but probably there's people who'd even take it that extreme. And, uh, you know, whether there's any, so you, you get this sense of where the whole world becomes potentially, po- you know, toxic because you know, anything might be female, you never know. It might be a female cow or a female python or a female whatever. So you're going to live in this kind of sealed off antiseptic state where you're feeling really pure. But actually you recognise that all sen- in all sentient beings there's a good chance about half of them are going to be female. So the ch- you know, one should live in this kind of threatened state rather than protected state. It's a threatened state. Which you get paranoid and uh, then 
uh, you know, the, whether there's anything happening in your mind or you're deliberately intending a lustful contact or not, that becomes irrelevant. It's just it becomes something that's taken out of, out of meaning. Literal following of, of a rule beyond what it means. So, of course, when Ajahn Chah came to, to England, he went to get on this bus in the airport, and, you know, of course, statistically, half the human beings on this bus were, were female human beings. And the buses being what they are, like in Thailand, you know, everybody, the monk gets on, everybody, you know, moves a meter away from him, up on the roof if necessary. Um, but in England they don't. So, so he looked, looked at it and just jumped on this bus, you know. He knew what he was doing. If came into contact with uh, female, with women, that's okay. Because um, what his old mind was about. So, but you can use these things in ways in which you know you become so increasingly intolerant of a, of a situation mm. because one doesn't actually recognise this is about you know pr- protecting oneself from harmful effects. So instead of protecting, which is actually a lovely and feeling that which is actually a very lovely sense, you know, I am you know I'm confident here one actually remains continually threatened and lacking in confidence in that state. And you know, in, and you can use these, these, these precepts and vineyard training to support this poisonous attitude. Rather than, what it's supposed to do is to make you feel confident, to make life give you some very clear boundaries and make you feel confident and, and safe, rather than threatened and paranoid. So, when, you know, something you can turn it over the other way. I expect many of us could imagine, you know, can take meditation as, as something that we we should do, we should be good at, and if we're really good at it, we get to these particular states. So, instead of seeing something, oh, this is really nice, you know, we can go to, we can sit and find a way, you know, sitting, standing, walking, moving around, whereby you can come to a place in your in your conscious process where you feel um, settled and you feel that, that sense of settledness satisfies you. You feel satisfied and you're interested. This is a thought. This is a feeling. This is a sensation. You know, this, is a sense, this is a sense contact. This is the absence of it. And even um, when there are um, difficult things happening, this is the nature of, of worry. This is the nature of rage. It's like this. This is interesting. I can explore this. So this is, you know, the, the what we're looking towards in meditation. Because if we can't feel some sense of well-being and security in dealing with some of our destructive programs, we're never going to undo them. And when we recognise that these, the, we do have these destructive programs, how are we ever going to undo them unless we can handle them? And how can we ever handle them unless we have the confidence and the sense of of well-being in ourselves to be able to do that. Like if you're always handling your wounds from a wounded place, if every time you, you find something you know that's difficult or wounding yourself, you feel guilty, ashamed, and start beating yourself up, or feeling inadequate and feeble and lost, then you're actually increasing it, aren't you? You know, 
so you come to some ugly thought and you start feeling a whole lot of, a lot of self-hatred around it or depressed around it then you're, you're, you're increasing that habit so you know see how you can go either way meditation is not just sitting here is it it's about finding taking refuge finding that particular place where one does feel I'm alright I have this you know, or I've got this bit of alrightness and you know I've got some few holes here and there but I've got this alrightness and I can sustain myself in this then from this place now I can you know look at this or touch this or handle this or feel this or work, work this stuff out and this must be the, of course the, the principal aim if meditation the first thing to get in there is are you safe and are you being sustained by this if you're not then nothing else is going to work in fact you can be, you can be doing yourself damage by sitting there and obsessing and adding to the to the poisons that are already there. However one meditates, it's really vital to, to find this, you know, and standing, sitting, walking, lying down, you know, however it is, breathing in and out. However you do it, you know, whatever system you want to do, is, is to you've got to get to this home base, otherwise nothing is really there. And systems that can be aimed at providing one with immense resources of well-being, if you handle them in the wrong way, they'll go. They'll, they'll turn into blame systems. They'll turn into those those poisonous systems if they're handled the wrong way. So, it, just to remember, it's not things in themselves, but this particular destructive form of programming that we all have that we have to um, recognise, because you know, it can go either way. I'd like to tell the story of um, you know, a very powerful, poignant story of, the, of that the billionaire Howard Hughes, who uh, was an American businessman. And, you know, he's developed these sense of, of how his threat systems worked. He started to get more and more paranoid about being contaminated by things. But, you know, so naturally, you know, we have something in us that recognizes what's painful or harmful or poisonous. So we move away from that. But his one had got locked, so everything seemed threatening, and painful, and poisonous. So he wouldn't, he he wouldn't, didn't trust anybody because they might be, you know. And uh, he he moved around because in case he stayed somewhere, somebody might. He, he didn't have a home anymore. He used to live in hotels, move from one hotel to another. But always, it was a recluse in a, in a strange way, like he had no friends. Nobody, nobody could live with him because he was threat, felt threatened by them, suspicious of them, paranoid. And then he, he wouldn't cut, have his hair cut. Some germs on the scissors, or somebody slipped the scissors and cut him, so he wouldn't have his hair cut, or his nails cut. So a huge mane of hair un-
so he his, ended his life living in the top floor of a luxury hotel. I mean, he was a very, very rich person. Um, just had to lie on tissue paper because he couldn't bear the sense of cloth against his skin in case it might have some kind of disease in it. Um, and the only thing he would eat was a particular kind of ice cream because he was frightened. Other, other food might be poisonous, genetically modified, or whatever it was in those days. You know. And he died like that, kind of, where everything become poisonous. And this was a person who had, you'd think, all the resources to make his life completely rich. Um, he was a you know, very, very rich man. You know, he could have had you know, anything. And yet, of course, the programming under the skin corrupts everything. You can kill yourself, which is what he did actually. Not, you know, by starvation. So we have this. You, know, you can actually start to override the body's uh, defense system. And people do this, don't they? Now, we do that to such a coarse thing as a body, we can do this to the mind and heart easily. Whereby one feels worthless. One feels uh, you're not supposed to have anything that's enjoyable. You're not supposed to even want anything that's enjoyable. Uh, you're not supposed to be able to say, uh, "No thanks, I don't want that." Where by you know, so you're going to be kind of open to everything, or obedient to everything, or go along with everything. Do one's duty, no matter what. Or it kills you. I'll do this if it kills me. Kind of attitude, and we can hold those up somehow as, as heroic and laudable virtues. Where all the programming is revealed is very much in the in the present moment. This is what I feel I can point to. In any situation, if you bring yourself to full attention, what's wrong now? What, uh, what is it that one I don't have right now that I need? And where would I find that? Right, right, right now. can be something that's like a um, sense of valuing oneself, <coughs> uh, enjoying one's breath, loving oneself, remembering the good things I've done. You know, this, you know, can that come around? Yeah. Or can I at least discard and, and recognize for what it truly is, that sense of, um, you know, I'm not this, I'm not that. I should be this, I should be that, or they think I'm this, which makes it a bit more cunning, doesn't it? Because you never know what they think, so you <laughs> because they imagine them thinking something. Or even more uh, interesting is it. It should be. So which places it in somewhere where you can never actually uh, um, verify it, because it, where is it? <laughs> and yet this is, this is one of our favourite ploys, isn't it? 
It should be another way. I don't feel okay because it is not. It should be another way. The monastery, it, life, the world, people. Just generally it. And now we can acknowledge that sense of not feeling okay, but to own it. Makes one a little more alive, I feel. I have some some anger here, some resentment here, some feeling of not being treated well here. Oh, that's a little more, um, you know, tangible, isn't it? I have desires here. That's a bit more tangible than just uh, it. And then perhaps, you know, if we own this, then we can perhaps begin to, uh, you know, contemplate it, work through it, unravel it. What do I really, really need right now (coughs) to feel my own well-being? There's a sense of the body breathing in and out. Feels pretty good to me. If I can really be with that, perhaps I can't. Then maybe it's just a sense of there's there's an awareness that acknowledges what's going on, and is um, both present and also um, not shaken by that. If I can acknowledge things like my my anger, my grief, then in the moment of acknowledgement, there's a sense of some quality of awareness there that, that not through rejecting that but through its own innate purity I'm alright with this and then that anger or that sadness doesn't overwhelm doesn't take over but if we don't acknowledge if we don't bring ourselves into full awareness if we don't establish connection if we don't establish that relationship to what's really happening for us then it does take over because we've lost we haven't brought around our saving grace which is attention awareness mindfulness full presence and that's what knows how to protect this is a conditioned thing this is not self this is impermanent it's a changing thing so that's one of our one of the guards isn't it you can pass by but you're not coming in here Mm. our practice is really a, a, a duty to ourselves a real duty to ourselves Cherishing ourselves, training ourselves, protecting ourselves from these these uh, terrible things. Something we do repeatedly. So, how one practices dharma, taking refuges, keeping precepts, remembering precepts, remembering one has kept a precept acknowledging one hasn't trying to contemplate and understand how that happened see what the results are you know, try again 
uh, establishing mindfulness, acknowledging one hasn't established mindfulness, looking at the results of that. How do I establish mindfulness? You know, body, feeling, mind. You know. These these are our, these are our duties, and um, it's very useful to to get a, a, a positive sense around that. It's not so duty itself is a word that can get very ugly as a meaning a kind of duty that I don't want to do. It's like something that's imposed upon me. Job, drag, grinding chore. But really duty is a sense of, in my mind, of really connecting, touching in to to what values us, protects us, enriches us. You know, this is this is the real duty, to be alive. Mm. It takes that sense of that there is a, a good result here. You know, there is a clearing away here. There is a discarding of suffering here that's, that's possible for us. This might, it's the duty is to, to keep reminding myself of that uh, and to not cheapen myself. I was asking a group of people the other day, well, you know, what, what, is, what is duty? How, how is that as a, as a, as a valuable sense? And somebody, the layman, he said, well, my duty is to protect my family. Okay, that sounds very good. You know, something lovely about that. It wasn't my duty is to protect my job, but, you know, or an inanimate thing or an abstract thing, protect my family, that which I value and values me, that which I belong to, that which I'm connected to. And you could sense with that very duty is something that's got a lot of heart in it. That my duty is to get to the factory on time. <laughs> my duty is to protect my own family. You know? Oh, it's very lovely that sense. Somebody else commented that duty was like um, they had regular tools they used, and he said my duty is like a tool. It's something that I've used a lot. So in a way. I've imparted my quality into that tool, into that hammer or that rope or that instrument. You know, it's, it's be- I've, I've learnt with that. It's become me. It means something to me. Yeah, and I thought that was very nice too. In the sense of when one uses dumber tools, they're not just things that you, you look at and think, "Goodness me!" You know, only, with, only Buddhists could ever handle these. It would have been our hands where we can touch this stuff. But you know, I mean, our hands can meditate, but my tool, you know, my my way of doing it, that I've got my own kind of handprint on it, my way of getting in touch with refuge, my way of finding that place of of um, sustaining and, and steadiness in myself, how I do it, and it's, it's got a bit of mine in it. You know? So, just using, remember, using these dharma practices and training practices to make them one's own. This is the way I develop the sense of self-discipline and restraint and vinya and you know that which is lovely and, and skillful. I do it this way. You know, so these are the things I hold dearly. So it's got a little bit of one's own imprint on it. And I don't think the practice really comes alive until it becomes until it has one your own thumbprint on it. And sometimes we can be frightened of that. You know, it's got to be. The Buddha's thumbprint, or you know, some Ajahn Chah's thumbprint, or Dalai Lama, or something like that, you know, 
which worked for them is great for them. And that's, that's lovely. But it, it can't be mine, can it? To somebody else's. So when it's mine, it's not as good as you. It's not as good as Because it's not the same as yours, it must probably not as good as yours, is, is, the, is the assumption from the, the self-punishing attitude. But if it's yours, it is good enough. It's the only one that's good enough, is your one. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to think like that, isn't it? The only meditation that's good is your meditation. Everybody else's meditation is no good. Because <laughs> 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 it's not yours. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> a relief. Oh, and everybody else has got it right enough, so I can't do it. <laughs> Which is, you know, what do you want to sustain that attitude for? You know, what's that going to do for you? But the only meditation is, is, is my, it's really good is mine. I'm the only person who can meditate here. <laughs> then we can all be okay, can't we? <laughs> oh, I'm trying to be like, we're trying to be like me or like her or whatever. There's somebody else, another kind of duty was mentioned, this person who had a, um, an Aikido teacher. He had an Aikido teacher, he said his duty with his Aikido teacher was, he would, um, his duty was to fold the Aikido teacher's trousers. So in his, when the person does Aikido, there's a special Japanese ceremonial trousers and you have to fold them in a very particular way you know they're, they're not you know, this kind of fairly ordinary material his, 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 person, his teacher's trousers were patched and worn you have to fold them in a particular way so you couldn't just kind of dump them and it was like my teacher's trousers you think you know, the sense of again you know it's something on hold because of the thing itself is just that but the relationship where teacher's trousers and he said there was a particular not just the fact of the trousers a particular way of folding it and he said the way of folding it was you must sit in a particular way whereby as you fold it you don't lose balance you know, you just sit in a particular way so that you're not actually overbalanced when you, when you fold them so you bring them towards yourself so that you're right over there folding the teacher's trousers I thought that was very good because how many times in in what we've called duty, which I, I feel is not correct duty, we overbalance trying to do a bit more than we really can in a balanced way. Yeah. And something in us says, you know, what's good is harder. What's good is when you get a nice strained feeling and you're really doing well. You get that feeling strain, you get that feeling strain in your tether and you've done a good job completely exhausted good job <laughs> what about you know when it's when you just feel you, you know you're not uh, out of balance you're just doing carefully tidily but you're retaining your own centre you're not losing your centre in what you're doing this is correct duty anything else if you're losing your centre in what you're doing for anybody what you think is anybody's welfare you may think I'm losing my centre for your welfare you're not doing anybody any favours by sickening yourself, <laughs> by poisoning yourself. Because sooner or later it comes that 
you made me do it and then the resentment comes up or I've got to do it because you won't like me is there or I've got to do it otherwise I won't feel good enough so losing our centre is not correct duty and this is the subtlety of this thing isn't it we have to really stay in our centre with what we're doing and not try to separate our centre from what we're doing it doesn't matter it's not there nothing around me it's purely on my own but in what we're doing retaining our centre and then what comes forth is uh, beautiful really remember that because those programs destructive programs will always tell you you're not doing well enough there's a bit more you could do or should do Um, and if you did it then you get reward you feel you know either other people reward you or you'd feel you'd reward yourself but remember anything that's going to promise you a reward anything that's going to promise you a reward is not your friend because anything that's going to promise you a reward is also going to promise you punishment and blame if you don't make it so if you buy into that I'll do something so that I will be good in the future you're losing your centre and you're, uh, you're poisoning yourself and you're poisoning the relationships with other people too if you, if you allow them to help you to poison yourself Um, but I am um, 